Hey, it's Coach Colette, and I am so excited to kick off the 2021 Coach Chat season with this episode. So studies have shown that just 1% of venture-backed startup founders are Black, despite the fact that we make up over 13% of the U.S. population. And it's even worse for Black female founders, receiving less than 1%. According to Vern Howard, who is a Black founder of a startup called Halo, he researched on Crunchbase and found that in the third quarter of 2020, over 1,300 startups raised funding between $500,000 and $20 million, and yet only 31 were Black founders. If we flip to the other side, we know that venture firms in the U.S. invest over $130 billion annually. However, according to Black VC, Black investors are excluded from mobilizing this capital as well. Today, only 3% of venture capital investors are Black. Additionally, only 2% of partners those individuals who make the investment decisions at venture firms are black. So you know that I'm setting you up here though for some good news. In this episode, I am speaking with Shyla Nieves Bernie, who is the founding and managing partner of Zane Venture Fund. Zane Venture Fund is a woman-led venture capital fund investing in the $4 trillion untapped opportunity by funding undercapitalized talent and balancing the distribution of venture dollars. They invest in seed and early stage companies, primarily in the Southeast and across the U.S. So in this episode, Shyla and I are dispelling all the myths about venture and also she will share her personal story of how she transitioned from being an entrepreneur founder to a venture founder. So get ready and listen up. Put your thinking caps on and be ready for this exciting Coach Chat episode, Dispelling the Myths of Venture Capital. All right, folks, we are getting ready for an exciting coach chat conversation today. And I am really, really happy to welcome to the podcast, Shyla Nieves Bernie. And we are going to be having a conversation, a real conversation about raising funds and dispelling some of those myths around venture capital and investments. So Shyla, welcome to Start Within Podcast. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And I know we've been following each other on Twitter for a while. And, and I love that, you know, when some people say, oh, reach out to me on Twitter. And I love that I tweeted you and you were like, yes, let's do it. So. <laughs> yeah. It is true. When you reach out to people, they do respond. I really want to, to start this conversation off and have you tell us a little bit more about Zane Venture Fund and Zane Access. What is this all about? 
Sure. So Zane Venture Fund is a $25 million fund where we're investing in diverse entrepreneurs and teams who are creating tech-enabled solutions. We're looking primarily here in the Southeast, but we're also looking opportunistically across the U.S. Our mantra is that we leave no founder behind. And so that's where Zane Access comes in. Even though a company may not get invested through the fund, we wanted to make sure that we still were able to support the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so we just created our own. And so we have Zane Access, which is a programmatic arm where we provide capital readiness programs. And we have Zane Access University, which is for our student entrepreneurs. We're really proud of that because we're tapping into the pipeline earlier by making sure that these entrepreneurs find a place and a home and a community where they can be able to access resources through our network of mentors and folks like that. And so really proud of the work that we've done in just a short time. That's fantastic. And how short of a time is it? So I really got into the venture space, started in 2018, sourcing investors for a startup that was uh, based in Africa, FinTech company. Spent seven months doing that and um, was able to get him to a letter of intent of $5 million and the possibility of up to $100 million just by knocking on doors. And fortunately, people were talking to me. And so, but with that deal, in the end, the investor decided to invest in hotels. And so for someone like me, that's a problem. You know, I spent all this time researching and I saw the inequities within venture and it was imperative that I do something about it. And so I decided to let me just explore what venture is. Let me get educated. Let me get informed and then let me start the process of launching a fund. And so I did that in 2019. I spent time across the entire country in all kinds of rooms where they were talking about $200 billion funds. And I'm going like, I only want 10 million. Let me put me to work. Put, let me put 10 million to work. Let's see what happens. And so I decided to, in late 2019, launch my fund. And then I brought on a venture partner who had been mentoring and advising me since the beginning. And that gave me some credibility, you know, very honestly in the investment space. And then I started my fundraise on the wings of a, a large commit headed into 2020. And then COVID hit. And so, <laughs> you know, dream deferred, but definitely not denied. And so I decided to double down and continue, you know, putting our work out there, speaking to potential investors. And so right now we're looking to do a close this quarter. Really excited about some of the folks that have come on board. So just a short period of time. I always say since we launched our fund, because that's when the clock really starts with us. So really late in 2019, I've been in this space really working hard. That's on the fund side, but on the Zane Access side, we started that before we started the fund. What was important to me is that while going through that process of sourcing investors that and meeting um, entrepreneurs along the way, like they were not, they don't, they didn't have access to anything and we're out here trying to do it all alone. And so I started having forums first you know, bringing in the resources, folks from city government. I did a lot of them in New York and, and, and really was surprised that, you know, not from New York, but the community really embraced me. And so did a couple of forums there and was surprised at the lack of resources that an entrepreneur had, even in a big city like New York. So I started with that in mind before we launched Zane Access. So that started in early 2019 when we started to just build a buzz around what we were trying to do. Wow. So much that you've accomplished in a relatively short period of time. That's amazing to me. And even taking the pandemic out of it, right? Like the fact that you have been able to do this. I thought it was interesting when you were saying going around the country, because obviously then the pandemic hits, what shifts did you notice in being able to either connect with investors for your fund and or 
entrepreneurs or founders for your portfolio? So the, one of the first things is we did is I have a partner at, you know, I had one at the time who was not really comfortable having investor meetings on Zoom, right? He's old school. So it's a handshake. It's a, you know, I got to see you sort of relationship. And I had to say, you know, but we're in a new environment right now. We're going to have to get on Zoom and have these meetings. And so we did, we had a sort of a uh, mock one with a bunch of executives and it was the best thing because they tore me apart with my deck. They were like, you're not telling the story. And so it gave me an opportunity to not only get my partner comfortable on Zoom, but also that my story was, I needed to tear up the deck and start over, which we did. And so that helped us tremendously. And so I had to start reaching out and saying, hey, let's have a Zoom call. And, and it worked, right? And so we were able to still gain some momentum around that. And then, you know, I will be very transparent. When George Floyd um, happened, everybody wanted to talk to us because everybody wanted to see what they could do. Sadly, right? As we all got comfortable on Zoom and we started to get comfortable, you know, with society, all those opportunities, they left us. Some other folks leveraged them, but they left us and we're going, so what do we do now? We have to continue telling our story, knocking on the doors. We will eventually get to the right people. We, we saw that we did. And so for us, and I had to tell the same thing that I'm doing for myself. I had to say that to the entrepreneur, you have to get comfortable telling your story online. You have to get comfortable, like, just getting out there, knocking on doors, making sure it's the right door you're knocking on because not every investor is going to look at your company. But then another part of that is we just start having virtual events. Like, let's get these entrepreneurs online. Let's sort of educate them. Now we can't meet them in person. We've signed up to inform and educate. So let's get online and do it. And we did. For the month of April and May, we had events that were tied directly into where the entrepreneur was right at that moment and providing them the resources online. And so while I had to do it on the fun side, I had to do the same thing to make sure that I kept the entrepreneur community engaged. And so we had to pivot and we pivoted quickly, realizing we didn't know when we would be back in person. And so, yeah, we did online webinars and we launched, we did a program that was online. We did a university program that was online because we didn't want to lose that touch because we couldn't get on a plane and get in a room with, a, with someone. And I'd imagine that perhaps some of the founders and also aspiring founders who are listening may be surprised to hear that aspect where you said, oh, I had to you know, rip up the deck and start all over again. That to me seems to be one myth that we can dispel when it comes to venture. What, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. All of us have a story for why, why we're here. Why us? Why now? All of that. And if I'm not telling my story correctly, or if it's not resonating with the potential investor that I'm talking to, now, granted, not everyone is going to, they don't want to hear you, they just are doing on the call and they're, you know, granted, they're not going to invest and we get that, that's going to happen. But at the same time, I have to do just what they're doing. Like we are lockstep. They're just on one side of the table and I'm on the other. But I have to tell my story. My deck has to look sharp just as much as an entrepreneur's deck has to. I got to have all those pertinent points in there about why me, why this industry, why now, you know, all of those sort of things. I have to answer those questions. And so, you know, we live in the mind of a founder because most of us are founders, you know, and so we are just um, going down different paths in our founding journey. And so, yeah, we, we need to dispel this myth that somehow we're superpower and we don't have to answer some of the same questions. We're not. We are not. Right. And, and would you say that that is particularly true for funds or 
VC firms that are led by diverse founders in terms of the fact that the money may not be coming from existing or familial or other resources? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if that, I would have already had a first close by now, if that was the case, right? If I had friends and family around that I could go to and say, hey, you know, would you join me on this journey? And even though I do have friends who are affluent, you know, venture is not an area that they invested in, right? Most folks have invested in real estate. Actually, before COVID happened, we were going to have a, um, an evening where we brought in a lot of affluent African-Americans and, and Latinos to talk about educating them around venture to see that while the, the risk is great, the reward is even greater. So I have that saying, like, who can I tap into in my, my circle and then beyond that? And so that is a challenge for us as well. And let me just say this, most of my meetings have been with white men. You know, for the most part, there are very few conversations that I've had with, I've had two, I think, with Black men, none with Black women. And I know several who, you know, if they know about venture, they would be interested. But getting to those folks and trying to convince them to switch their portfolio to over to something like venture capital is not easy. And so, yeah, I have the same struggle. And I have to have that same, you know, passion that they need in order to to be successful. That's interesting. Have you thought of ways to influence affluent people of color to consider venture as an alternative or perhaps even primary investment objective? Sure. So a a lot of our posts on our fund Twitter account and our other, we try to bring out, you know, if you invest in these entrepreneurs, we, they, you know, they perform at a much higher level and have greater returns. So we try to use data by doing that. I've not had a specific target towards the African-American community or the Latin community, um, but that's a way for us to get information out by saying, here's the data behind it, and that we're leaving a $4 trillion opportunity on the table, and you have an opportunity to be a part of that, you know, so educating that this is not charity, this is not like feel-good giving, this is actually growth investing, right? This is an opportunity to close the wealth gap in our country. You know, if we have these, some of these great returns that we hear about with other unicorns, which they're just basically folks who were invested in and, and got a lot of funding behind them, so they were able to scale. Um, but if we did the same thing for diverse entrepreneurs or even diverse fund managers who have um, access to these diverse entrepreneurs, we could definitely, you know, I won't say close the wealth gap because I've read reports that we will never close the wealth gap in this country or it'll take another 300 years. But what about we start at least getting down that path and, and, and sort of making the playing field equitable and so that everyone have access to it. So, so, so in essence, I know that's a long way to answer your question, but in essence, we need people of, of, uh, who want to be part of this change in terms of you know, this wealth uh, gap narrative to, jo- to join us. You know? And if I can figure out a way to bring people in, um, I will definitely you know, be open to doing that. That's interesting. So the $4 trillion opportunity is the market for diverse entrepreneurs? Yep, absolutely. And I think it was either McKinsey who put the report out that's being left on the table by not investing in these entrepreneurs because that's how much they would add to our GDP just based on their, their, the performance of the small amount of money that they've been given. And then on the flip side of that, diverse fund managers tend to do well with the small amount of capital to allocate. And so there's data out there. It's just who wants to know, who's really interested. I, you know, I won't shout out the institution, but I had a, an amazing call with an LP yesterday. 
one of the best calls I ever had, because a lot of times on these calls, we have to educate. We have to educate around the data because there's this theory or their thought that there is a pipeline problem and where are these companies and they don't exist. But I didn't have to do any of that yesterday. This institution knew it. They wanted to make sure I knew it and what they were looking for funds like us to do in terms of diverse entrepreneurship. And that we just need more of that. We need more LPs or institutions who are ready to write checks and not looking at me like, okay, well, how long have you been investing? What's your track record? You, they know most of us come with no major track record. Let's take that off the table. Let's talk about the opportunity versus what's, what I don't have. You know, I do have access to entrepreneurs and that's what I'm here for, the entrepreneur community investing in them. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, who knows and who doesn't want to know. And, you know, maybe there are, there are some of those who would like to know, but just don't know where to start. And from the founder side, and you know that we are entering this uh, tech digital health space with Libby. And it's interesting when I get the question, why this market? Because Libby is targeting women of color to support our mental health. Do you find on the fun side, you get that same question or similar question, why target this diverse group of entrepreneurs in general? So I think it's pretty clear when, when, when we're talking that that's who we're at, you know, it's in our deck, it's in our, it's on our website, it's on all of our social media handles, right? So people automatically know that. I think the from my experience, the biggest concern is that, is it really true? Are they really out there and where are they? And because they haven't been, they, they don't get the exposure like they, they're white male peers. And if you're not looking for diversity, you're not going to see diversity. That's the thing that I get. Yes, we hear, you know, we, there we see the anecdotal data. No, it's actual true. It's true. We just show them the talent. Here's the talent right here. We always have companies, even though they're not our portfolio companies, examples of talent that's out there and how well they're doing as a way to get rid of the question of, are they really out there? You know, that sort of thing. And we also have a database of entrepreneurs who have come through our programs and who have, you know, registered on our website for different events. And so they're there as well. So that's, a, that's the main thing that we have to do is try to convince people that this market actually exists. And what other advice do you have for current founders or aspiring founders? I guess the first step is defining the idea of finding your market and then looking to raise funds. Or is that the correct order? Have I gotten that correct? So what's funny is when I started my business, there was nobody with like a welcome package, right? And which is, a, which is a hard when you're an entrepreneur and you don't know where to go. And that is still the case. And so I had to figure it out. I'm being asked of myself, why you? Why, why you? Why now? And, and are you going to be able to see this through to the end? It's going to get hard. You know, are you the person to be able to carry this through? We always look for these sort of personalities um, when we're talking about investing, you know, and I'll give you an example of one who I met a year ago, really liked her. We felt like she wasn't ready. We liked what we wanted to support her. Her, She was an IoT company. We weren't really interested in IoT at the time, but we saw this young woman continue to build in spite of us saying what, she, what, what we didn't like, right? She continued to build. I flew out to the Consumer Electronics Show. I was going to be out there anyway. She was like, I'm going to be at an exhibit. And I'm like, I'm going to come see you. I saw her in her element talking to potential customers. She's a very young woman, but just seeing her out there, you know, managing her business and being very professional. And then COVID hit and we, we continue to stay in touch. I continue to give her guidance on partnerships and this sort of stuff. And she pivoted during COVID to software. 
to innovating around the entire kitchen. And I'm like, wow, that's a person we definitely want to um, invest in. But at the time we weren't ready to invest. And so I sent her to a local fund to get a term sheet. They gave her a term sheet and then they helped get her invested. And then we were able to um, make an investment. And so what, what I'm basically saying, it's perseverance. You have your idea, you're gonna get rejected a lot along the way. People aren't gonna believe in you, but you have to believe that this is something that you're creating. You have a customer base who's, who are gonna be there when you get ready to scale and, and continue down that path. Where to go first? You know, I always say go to your small business association first, even just to their website and find out all the particular things you need to start your business from A to Z and then start. We can always say, well, I'm going to aspire, I'm going to aspire, but you got to start at some point. And so like I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I never thought I could do it full time. I always thought I needed that constant paycheck. But once I started, I'm like, I'm not stopping. The days are, woo, they can be consuming. But I know my why, you know, and I know why me and I know why now. That's something that I always suggest entrepreneurs keep that in front of you. You know, you're going to have to start, you know, doing some research on how to get from A to B but you can get there. And how did you get clear on your whys? It sounds like you've got those three whys. Was that introspection? Was that looking at the market? Was that personal experience or some combination of that? It was absolutely personal experience. And so my daughter, in the middle of us waiting for due diligence, we're in due diligence rather, uh, with, the, with this uh, $5 million uh, letter of intent. And my daughter and I are driving through an area of town that has been venture red line. And we we're caught in gunfire. People are shooting at each other at nine something in the morning. You know, my daughter was hit by gunfire. And, you know, she survived. Thank God she's well. But at that moment, I was looking around going, where are we? You know, it was an area that no one cares about here in Atlanta. And I, you know, after my daughter was healing, we're sitting home talking. Then the investor decides to drop out. And I'm like, you know, these two convergences of things are propelling me to push forward. And so I was having a conversation with my daughter, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do anything in the community anymore, but I know the community needs me. And my daughter was like, listen, you're already down this road of venture. Why don't you continue doing that? And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. And so because she, in her moment of, you know, she's traumatized and she's telling me to continue going. Hey, it's Coach Colette. You may have felt like you just survived 2020. What would it be like to thrive in 2021? Notwithstanding the external forces over which you have no control, what would it be like to make even a small shift this year? Can you imagine what it will be like at the end of this year when you reflect on all that you have created? It is possible when you start within, and I'd like to help you do it. You can visit my website, startwithincoaching.com, and at the top, click Start Here to schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk about what's going on in your life right now and where you'd like to be. So go to startwithincoaching.com, click Start Here, and let's start your journey within.
So the fund is named after my daughter. I was looking for the strongest woman I could find. I was gonna do Oprah, the Harriet Tubman Fund, <laughs> Michelle Obama Fund. And I looked at my daughter when she said that, and I'm like, I'm gonna name it the fund after you. You are the strongest woman I know at this moment. You know, you've been traumatized and here you are coaching me on what to do next in my life. And so that was the, the personal moment for me that said, hey, you've already been down this road. You've seen the data. You've talked to the investors. They're not in, interested in these particular companies. You got to do something. And so that's what propelled me to go ahead and move forward. Wow. That's such an amazing story. And I think it just proves your point, right, about how is it that you share your narrative and be able to live that. Like, I, I can feel that that's real. That's not fake. That's, oh, I thought venture was cool. And I thought I'd get, you know, like it's, that's real and that's real life. And I think, I don't know what you think, but sometimes that can be a challenge, right? Telling our own narrative, telling our story, telling our why, because there's an aspect of vulnerability in that. Would you agree? Absolutely. And like, I don't often tell the story on calls, but I'll tell you this, most LPs want to know, what's your story? They want to know how did you get here, right? They get they see the data, but how, what about how? What why you, right? That's still that same thing, and so I have to tell that story. I do have to be vulnerable. Now I'm not really good at it because I'm one of these people. You know, things happen, but you know I got to live for another day, and so I don't want to drag in yesterday with me. And so not that I want to give light to anything or you know like that, but yes, when I'm talking to you, I could feel that. Right, I took the time to tell you that story, but in a pitching moment. You know, I have a, it's, it's hard for me to kind of cross over from just giving you all this data. And now I'm going to tell you about my daughter. But there are those who want that vulnerability because they want to know, first of all, that you're human and that you feel just like they feel and that you've had some moments where you've had to make a decision and, and be able to act on that. So, yeah, it, yes, there are times when you do have to be vulnerable because people want to know that you are human. You've had some, some failures and some successes, but you're still here, you know, on the path that you're on. Right. I recently heard another fund manager didn't tell a personal story, but did suggest that they had been an entrepreneur briefly and that their idea failed. So that that sense of knowing that when you're speaking to that manager, that he happens to be a he, white male, understands what failure is, at least through his own lens, right? Because we're always looking at things through our own lens. But that's that aspect of like we were saying earlier that fund managers, right? You are founders in a way, right? You are raising funds to support others of us to be able to, to bring our dreams to fruition. Right. And, and, you know, so I've been in, like I said, I was an, I've been an entrepreneur all of my life. So while those businesses didn't succeed, doesn't make me a failure, right? It's mm. just the business model didn't work. And so whoever this person is, hopefully they didn't give up on their entrepreneurial dreams. I've had a company called the Bernie Experience, the, the Bernie Administrative Services, something with tall women because I'm tall and I was dressing, you know, tall women. So it was like a personal assistant, you know, so and how now I'm in venture, you know, so the path hasn't been straight. That doesn't mean that, oh, well, she's a failure. She had all these things. No, that means I'm continuing to try. And that's what I'm hoping that this young person, you know, does continue to try and, until you have your success. You're not a failure because of right. No, and I think the fund manager was saying that story, I think, to share the fact that he understands, oh, gotcha. right, when things fail. And I think it is true, though, 
that concept of how we define failure and becoming more comfortable with failure as in, like you said, the business model failed or we didn't have product market fit or whatever the the timing wasn't right, but not internalizing that as in that means I am a failure, right? Like this venture may have failed, but I am not a failure. Absolutely. Especially if you know that you've given it your all, you know, you did everything possible for success. And it just didn't work, you know, the same with the Bernie experience. I started out with a whole lot of clients. Um, this was the company I started before I got into venture. And it felt like work. It felt like, I mean, not that this isn't work, but there's a difference between passion and me going and like checking the box on something. And that's what I felt like I was doing. So while, and it, I, so I don't consider it a failure at all. It was actually pretty successful, but I thought, you know what? Let, this over here is where my heart is right now, where my passion is. And if I know if I work hard enough, we will get to the goal that we're attempting to do. We're already talking about fun too. That's how serious we are about the work we're doing. That's amazing. Something you just shared prompted something that I guess that is a question that I often consider, right? When is it the right time to walk away? And not from like the exit, okay, you were bought by XYZ company and you know that kind of exit, but when is it the right time to walk away even if it's not, quote, failing, like you were saying, like, oh, I was checking the box, like that sense to me of, as I don't know, I guess maybe I've had that idealistic thought that like, I'm an entrepreneur, I should never feel like my work's not exciting. But in reality, right, there is that difference between the passion and the check in the box kind of work. For sure. And so the work that I was doing with the Bernie Experience, outside of curating events for women, empowerment events for women, The rest of it was organizational management, project management, things I'd done my entire life, right? And so that's the part of that I felt like I had started to lose interest in that. And here's something that I had never heard of. And I've been invited to be a part of it by an entrepreneur. This seems way more interesting to me. Not that my company wasn't interested, not that interesting, and not that the clients weren't valuable of my time. I mean, they, you know, I got paid pretty well um, in this, but I just felt like for me, my passion was over here. I found a problem that needed to be solved. That was a bigger picture for me than to continue down the line that I was going down and which I could have been very successful at, but I felt like I would not have given it my all. And I have even, I was even asked by my um, venture partner, are you sure you don't want to continue doing that? And I'm like, no, either the companies are going to get my support or the entrepreneurs are going to get my support. And I chose the entrepreneurs. And so here I am two and a half years later, and I'm glad I made that decision. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's something that we all, I mean, as humans need to keep into consideration, but I think sometimes there is, to me, that's another one of the entrepreneurial myths that people for some reason can sometimes understand like, oh, you work in a job and that's not passionate. So you find another job, but the thought that, oh, once you become an entrepreneur, right, it's always going to be passionate and you're always going to be excited. Right. And not to say that, right. Like you're saying that there are aspects of work that are routine, for for lack of a better word, right? And you can still have passion around a mission, right? Even if the job is today, right? I'm checking emails or I am, you know, sending up follow-up messages, right? You can still have the passion, but to recognize that there is that distinction around where your heart's desire is for your work. Right. And to your point, I'm doing some of the same things, right? I'm still having to project manage myself and organize our work and that sort of stuff. But when I, it's the entrepreneur again, that's what I get excited about. 
you know, I had, I had a call with one today at noon and the news she gave us was mind blowing on their success. I can't wait until they announce it. And to be able to be there for her from the very beginning to where she is now, that's exciting to me. That's what I live for, you know? And so I, that's what I aim to work towards. And so, wow, yeah, I could have continued and I would have not have to, you know, use a lot of my own fun because we've been bootstrapping the entire time. You know, I could have gotten paid, but I feel like I am getting paid every day just with calls like that telling me, you know, thank you, here's what, here's our news, this is what's next, and, you know, thank you for your, your, your support. I love that, you know, I'm not looking for the thanks, I'm just looking for the, for them to succeed. Right. Be there to help them. So I think something that comes to mind when we look at founders raising funds, to me, sometimes I equate it to people seeking jobs. And I've often said, you know, when I put on my coaching hat, right, you're interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. Would you say that there's a similar analogy on the uh, founder funder side? It should be. So, and I was on a a podcast or a panel yesterday where this young woman, someone wants to fund her company. They're, They're not diverse. She's questioning, should she take the capital? She should. And so, but I'm saying, you know, maybe, and she wants to have a diverse person. Go out and research. You have every reason not to take the capital just as much as we have every reason not to. Your investor, you should know who they are. You should be doing your due diligence on them just as much as we're going to do due diligence on you. And I think it, it's important that it goes both ways. And so I, like I even with her, this, you know, she again felt sort of put upon in this room talking to this investor and I'm going, but he doesn't know that you're a good company. He's going to get wealthy and rich off of your company. And so you, he, you have something to offer him as well. And so that's what I really wanted to convey to entrepreneurs. You have a voice in this room. We're not all that. We're just human beings with someone has decided to invest in us so that we can invest in you. And so we need you just as much as you need me. And I think we need to at least inform investors that we're not, there's not this big VC archetype you know, that comes in and all of a sudden they're this special person. No, some of us have just re- really worked hard to get here and we want to do good. And But you should also expect that we're working on your behalf as well. It doesn't just mean I write a check and, you know, I don't really talk to you anymore until the next time. There should be a relationship part to this and it's not one-sided. So I then would surmise from that that you would consider yourself more of an active investor? I have been coying with that term and I'm trying to come to grips with it. So yes, I consider myself an activist investor, right? And, and I've been an activist my entire life. Even on my Twitter bio, I have fierce advocate. And I know sometimes it comes off a little strong. It, you know, it's my, part, it's my heart, that whole passion about making sure that we get an equal playing field. It's all about equity for me. I'm not trying to take from someone else. We're saying we want equitable access just like everyone else gets to have equitable access. So absolutely a fierce advocate. So I love that because I said active and I love that you heard activist, but that's even better. So that's even better. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) So we, so we will start investing again, um, second quarter where we're hoping to do our close first quarter, and then we'll continue to make some investments while we continue fundraising because we will probably have to fundraise until the end of the year before we close the fund, but we're going to be making investments along the way. Got it. But I still love activist yeah. investor better. That's, that's, that's the tweet. Okay. <laughs> that's the tweet. Okay. I love it. That's amazing. And kidding aside, I mean, because it, it is true to your mission, right? Like it's, it is true to what you created the fund for. Absolutely. It, so that, that is real. 
So if we switch gears a little bit to talk about you and how is it that you nourish yourself or nurture your own health and well-being? So, you know, I, I walk, you know, I was a, a very active in terms of exercising before COVID and the only outlet I can have now is walk. So I try to walk about three miles and that's where I just let, you know, let my thoughts flow and where I get really good ideas because I'm in that moment and free and not really confined to anything. And so that's typically how I get it. I'm not really good at, you know, taking care of my well-being. I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, I don't meditate as much as I should. I'm trying to, to do that more. But for right now, it's mainly, you know, my walking is, is the most mental and physical thing that I'm doing right now for my health. And that's amazing. I mean, A, because you're getting yourself out and you are physically active and B, there really is an aspect of meditation that is walking. I mean, there are walking meditations and just by what you shared about the fact that it, you feel free and that you do get ideas, right? So you, you're creating that space between you and your phone or you and your laptop. You're creating that hopefully non-digital or less digital environment. I do listen to music, you know, mm -hmm. that's about it. But in terms of, I don't take a phone. I have my watch with me. You can listen to music from that. And a few times the music didn't work. I'm like, okay, this must be a sign that I need to just really <laughs> take in everything. But yeah, I tend to listen to music a bit. Got it. In addition to music, is there anything else that you do when you do hit those speed bumps or hit those challenges? I believe in talk. I don't like holding anything in. I don't want to, you know, that, I, that's just been me in my entire life, right? In my family, my dad is like, you, your problem is that you tell the truth too much. No, I just like to talk about what's happening. Thankfully, I have a, a great sounding board with my husband, you know, that sort of thing. I have a few women friends that I like to talk to to bounce things off of. But that, that's what really works for me. I don't go in and try to figure, every now and then I'll try to go in and, and like see where I may have erred, right? What did you do, Shyla? And how can you correct it? Um, that sort of thing. I always look at me first before I start thinking about other folks. But, you know, having a great sounding board is really good, good for me. And that's, you know, that's just a few people that I that have to talk to and that I can just be totally free with. That's great. Yeah. It's like your circle of support that you've built for yourself. Absolutely. You know, I'm a solo GP and most of my days are spent alone and with a computer. So having this, you know, this great support group who can, you know, I can lean on and they can sort of help guide me as I try to, you know, figure out or get out of this rut that I'm in right now, that, that's been very special to me. And so for me, having a great group of support like that, no judgment zone, that sort of stuff. And these are all people who've been there and done that. And so having that in your back pocket has always been helpful for me. And so I encourage folks to find that circle of support. You know, sometimes you have to go, go beyond your friend base to find it, which is fine. I just spoke with a woman this morning who was an executive who I've, I, I just point blank asked, can I come to you at times when I feel stuck? And she said, yes, you know, we can hop on quickly and talk about whatever it is. And I'll give you my feedback, you know, objectively. And that's what we need. You know, we don't, I don't need my friends saying, yeah, girl, you, that was, you should have, no, maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> maybe I should have taken a different approach. You know, I want honest feedback. And so that's what I, that's what, um, for me, how I get out of these ruts when I'm stuck. I can't figure it out on my own. That is amazing that you shared that because on this podcast and other arenas, I talk about how is it that we can disrupt the strong Black woman myth. And I think that that vulnerability that you just shared about being able to ask for help, I think is so important and yeah. so key. 
For sure. And I even got bothered. It was during the inauguration that leading that week. And I kept seeing strong black women, strong black women. I'm like, I'm tired of being strong. Like, I really want to just go to bed sometimes and call it the day and, and I'll pick it up tomorrow. And so that whole narrative is played out, right? Yes, we're strong. Yes, we, you know, we persevere and we overcome, but we want to just do good work sometimes without the fight. How about that? And so, yeah, I think, you know, getting rid of that myth is so important. You know, don't think I always want to fight. I just really want to go into a meeting, make my, you know, my acts, my request, and you say, okay, great. I believe in your mission. Here you go. Simple as that. Don't make me strong. I have to keep coming back begging you and begging you and begging you because I'm strong, <laughs> you know, and because I don't take no for an answer and that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, I, you know, it, it's tiring. Right. So when does the perseverance and the resilience become exhaustion? Right. Yeah. And I fed a few times during COVID, you know, I was like, I'm tired. Just so tired. I'm tired of fighting, you know, not so not tired of the work, but just the ability, you know, to do the work is just all of the obstacles in the way, you know, and so it is tiring at times. So the one question uh, somewhat related to that, that I ask all of my guests is what does start within mean to you? For me, it's when I'm coming across anything that may be an issue, a concern, a problem, I start with Shiloh. I have to start with me. I can't look at my husband and like, you know, don't get me wrong, I've done it before. You know, it's your fault why, why this is happening. But I take, I try to be more introspective to say, Shiloh, how could this have been better? What could you have done? You know, and so start within means starting with me. It's starting with me in terms of all of this, like even the people I'm bringing along with me. You know, I asked them to come along and they said, yes. So their success starts with me, you know, and so I want to make sure that I'm always doing what I promised to do, you know, with my partners and, and our advisors and that sort of stuff. Everything starts with me. I remember one of my advisors, he worked really, we worked really closely together this summer. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, it's so much work. It's so much to do. And he was like, well, Shyla, it's on you to do it. Right. And I was like, you know, I didn't think about that. I, you know, yeah, it's on me to do it. But just having that sort of frank conversation with myself and with him, like everything starts with you, Shiloh, in this, you know, and so people will follow your lead. Um, and so I have to be very cognizant about, you know, and, you know, I've not, I've made mistakes. I, you know, I don't deny that I've made mistakes last year, but 2021, I'm hell bent on correcting those mistakes and, and starting with me, making sure that I'm doing the right thing. You know, I'm bringing people in, or you're bringing the right people in for the right reasons and at the right time, that sort of stuff. And so, yes, it all starts with me. And so I, I hold myself accountable for that. And how is it that you allow for grace or self-compassion? That's a really good question. And I don't have an answer. And I, it's making me a little emotional because that's what my husband always tried to tell me. You know, you don't need to be so hard on yourself. You know, give yourself some grace. And because I think it's so innate, right? I'm good, like, again, I'm going to start with Shiloh. What does Shiloh do? What could, have, what could I have done better, you know? I don't give myself a lot of grace. You know, I, I, I continue to say you could have done something differently instead of saying you made a mistake. Give yourself some grace. Just get up tomorrow and do something better. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a work in progress. Yeah. And I think it is for all of us. I would almost imagine it thinking about what you would say to one of your portfolio entrepreneurs or one of your student entrepreneurs, right? Like, what would you say to them and think of how could you share that same message with yourself? And, and that's an important point. I have no problem sharing and, and coaching and encouraging and being that for others. It has been an absolute problem for me to do it for myself. 
and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I did give it to myself yesterday. I woke up yesterday and thought, I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to have a good day. I just start speaking things into existence. And guess what? I had a great day yesterday. And so even today, I woke up with a little bad news and email. And I, I started down that road of, gosh, what did you do? What you? And then I was like, you know what? I gave them everything. I'm not sure why they want to talk again. You know, you didn't do anything wrong. So I'm trying to trying to do that day by day. And, I, and it made such a difference yesterday with me sort of giving myself praise, being sort of positive with myself before I got my day started actually works. So I'm, I'm, I'm on a path to trying to do that more, but I don't, I definitely know it's needed. Yeah. Thank you. And same thing. I mean, listeners that listen to this show, I, I have a segment called unplugged and I, and I often say that that's the segment where I tell on myself because, you know, as the coach, I share all of these things and yet, you know, human, I still have those moments myself as well, where maybe I haven't been as self-compassionate or given myself as much grace that I could have needed. And like we said, we're still living within this strong Black woman narrative, even as we are trying to dispel that myth. Right, right, exactly. And that's one thing I, I, I've chosen not to pass on to my daughter um, mm-hmm. in terms of you got to be, be all to be all. No, you could just be Zanae. You don't have to be everybody else. You can love yourself, you know, and she's now sometimes you take that a little way too hard. <laughs> Like, okay, can you like not go somewhere and take care of you today? Because she will take care of everything for her. And, and I love it. And I, I told her to do that, you know, make you number one. But, you know, again, having a hard time saying, Shiloh, you know, you got to make you number one too. And I love my husband who always says, I'm going to take care of number one. That's his whole mantra. Like he's going to always take care of him. And I love that about him. And he's been trying to encourage me to do the same. It's a work in progress as as we all are. Is there one thing that you would want, uh, like I say, founders, aspiring founders to take as some advice or guidance as they navigate this journey? Sure. So again, remember your whys. I'm not going to ever let that go. And know that you have everything in you for success. You know, I can't quote the poem, but there's a poem out there that talks about that. And I often reflect back that, Shiloh, you have everything you need. You know, it's up to me to kind of pull it forward. And so that's what I want to suggest to the same, to the same to the entrepreneur community. You didn't stumble into this space. You were built for it. And so it's just a matter of if you have to pivot, if you have to start another company because something else didn't work, just, you know, continue to remember your why. You know, I think I think I was born for entrepreneurship, but I was probably too scared as a young person because when I was in college, it was like, you better get that job, preferably a government job, so that you have benefits and that sort of stuff. So that's what was drilled in me. And I want to drill into young folks is that no entrepreneurship where you can use all of your creativity to create something that you built and can scale. And so, you know, I just want entrepreneurs to know, um, especially um, diverse entrepreneurs, that there is a space for you as well in this. Sometimes you have to carve it out yourself. I had to do the same. Nobody opened the door and say, hey, Shiloh, come in and be a part of our fund. Come in and be a part of our programs. I had to create it on my own. Don't, and I tried. You know, people have their, and I'm not upset or anything. People have their own, you know, process of way and their wise for doing things. And so I was like, well, I'll create my own. So I did. I created my own ecosystem. And I'm very proud of that. And so diverse entrepreneurs, you have to look no farther. We're here to support you. And so just continue your journey and know that you have everything that you need. Mm, That's so inspiring. 
I felt it when you said you you didn't stumble into this. You were built for this. That, for some reason, just really, wow, struck a chord inside. Because I think even, yeah, sometimes I feel like, oh, yeah, I just came up with this idea, right? That sense of, no, the idea was given for a reason. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have the answer, but I'm sure someone does. I'm just, I was, I'm here, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. And speaking of, how can our listeners learn more about you, learn more about the fun, learn more about the university, all, all things that you are doing? So you can always visit us on our website, zane.vc. Um, I'm on every social media channel. Our, we're on every platform um, in terms of the fund and Zane Access. So all Zane Venture Fund or all Shiloh Nieves Bernie. Um, either way, you can find me and connect with us. We are having a founders only event coming up. So we'll keep everyone posted if you visit our community. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing your insights today. I feel like I, well, I knew it. I knew I made the right choice when I reached out (laughs) and tweeted to you, but thank you for bringing your knowledge and your insights to our audience today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was great. Wonderful. We'll make sure that all of your links are included in the show notes. And thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Have a really good one. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Stay tuned for another episode of Coach Chat and get ready to start within to finish strong.